From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. So what I'm terrified of, David, is that all across the world, people are actually obeying Jesus' command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But they don't love themselves. There's a hole in the soul. We're so worried that someone's going to be narcissistic, we're selfish, we're self-absorbed, that we just don't teach people the light in your body without worrying about underarm odor and weight gain and white teeth, you know? Who can delight in their body? Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. Welcome to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline J. Lewis. She's senior minister at Middle Collegiate Church, a 900-member, multiracial, welcoming, and inclusive congregation in New York City. She's an activist, preacher, and fierce advocate for racial equality, economic justice, and LGBTQ equality. Reverend Lewis's activism for these issues has been featured in media such as the Today Show, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Essence, and the Huffington Post. She's a frequent contributor to MSNBC. She earned her Master of Divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary and earned an MPhil and a PhD in Psychology and Religion from Drew University. She's been an adjunct professor at seminaries across the country, including Princeton Theological Seminary, Union Theological Seminary, and the Graduate Theological Union. Today, we're talking about her recent book, Fierce Love, A Bold Path to Ferocious Courage and Rule-Breaking Kindness That Can Heal the World. Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, welcome to Things Not Seen. David, I'm so glad to be with you. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, I I was blown away by your book because it is a journey in all senses of the word. If the reader follows you from beginning to end, they are taken literally across the continent. They are taken across time. they They are taken across generations, and they are taken across a journey of faith where you yourself have grown into the activist that you now are. And so I'm, I'll be honest with you, uh, Reverend Lewis, I'm a little at odds about where to start because there's such a spoil of riches here about places to begin. So let me begin by asking you this. When someone asks you, who are you? What makes you tick? What is your go-to answer for that question? How do you tell people who the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline J. Lewis is? David, that's the best question. That's a great place to start. I would say I'm Jackie, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. I am happily married to my best friend. I have two grandbabies uh, named Ophelia and Octavius. I'm daughter to my dad, who's been widowed for four years. We lost my mom four years ago. I'm sister to three brothers and a sister. Uh, I'm the oldest kid. I've got all that oldest kid syndrome. I fell in love with God when I was about eight. God and I had a brief breakup. (laughs) And we're back together on on new terms. (laughs) And my very best relationship with God happens when I think of God as love. It just 
brings me tears to my eyes to think of finding the love that is God as the anchor to my activism, to my life of faith. Not fear, not don't no more, <laughs> you know, not let go of, but to really just embrace love as a theological construct that can heal me and the world. Well, and listeners now will have begun to get a sense of how you are presenting yourself and your journey in your book, Fierce Love, because in your answer, you gave me a series of networks. You talked to me about your relationships with your family. You talked to me about your relationship in your marriage. You talked to me about your relationship with your children and your grandchildren. And then you talked to me about your relationship about God. And I think all of those pieces, and this is part of why it was difficult to know where to start, because it's not like you can pull one of those pieces apart and say, oh, here it is apart from the others, because the way that you bring it together in your book, Fierce Love, you're weaving these all together constantly because your family is teaching you about God and your changing relationship with God is teaching you how you should relate more to your your father or to your children. And you're drawing wisdom from each place. And so I'm curious, when you were working with your publisher and saying, I want to write a book, And oftentimes publishers will say, well, what's the structure of the book going to be? How are you going to tell this story? I'm wondering what you pitched to your publisher to show them the mosaic that we find here in your book, Fierce Love. How did you think about that when you were first starting? First of all, I just think I should take you on the road with me. These are great questions. (laughs) I want to take you on the road together. It actually starts with your agent. Uh, My agent, Todd Schuster at Avidus Creative, has been thinking with me about this book for about nine years. And he loved that I had something to say, David, about faith, about a different kind of way to do religion. And we first focused on a grown-up God. I would say, I think we need a grown-up relationship with a grown-up God. And that really worked for me. That is what happened to me. But I realized with Todd's help that we wanted to have a conversation that would get outside of the God box, outside of church. For all those people, David, who are listening, who are people of faith who get disenfranchised or disappointed or hurt by church, or the people who are curious, or the nuns who want to know if there's a way into this conversation about faith. And there was a moment the year before George Floyd got killed that there was, in the zeitgeist, a a kind of foment around race and immigration, Puerto Rico, rebuilding, all of that. It made me think, okay. What I really need to do is to bring people on a journey to my theological excitement about love as the religion we could all practice together. And I made a proposal for three sections, one about us, loving yourself, one about loving your posse, your neighbor, and one about loving the world, God, because of Jesus's command to love God and neighbor self. And when we took it to market, we had lots of interest. But the people at Penguin Random Houses in Print Harmony, Marnie Cochran and her team, said they did not love the title, but they loved the format. They got the format, which made writing so easy. They adjust was so easy to not have to be linear, but to be overlapping, like Venn diagrams in the use, the the posse family people and God world. And so it, it poured out of me in about nine months with that structure that they really affirmed. 
Let me take a moment and quickly reintroduce you. So if you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen, and I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline J. Lewis. She's Senior Minister at Middle Collegiate Church, which is a 900-member multiracial welcoming and inclusive congregation in New York City. We're talking about her recent book, Fierce Love, A Bold Path to Ferocious Courage and Rule-Breaking Kindness That Can Heal the World. If I can linger for a moment, you said something in passing that struck me, and I want to make sure that I heard you right. You said that the people at the publisher, they loved the idea, they loved the structure, but they weren't that crazy about the title. And the I love the title, Fierce Love. I understand why you called it Fierce Love, but was that the title that they were a little no, hesitant about, or the, was, it, the, was there another title that you then arrived at to find Fierce Love? Yeah, there was a title that we had found the book called Now now, an urgent call to heal the world or something. And it felt like now, and uh, Marnie, who I, I think is a friend now, said, you know, that it doesn't feel exactly like the ubiquitous call that we're thinking about. So we got to fierce love together, all of us. And this ferocious courage and rule-breaking kindness is so both mouthy, I'm a little mouthy, <laughs> and sassy, uh, and ambitious. And so uh, we all felt that this was the way we wanted to talk about fierce love. It is fierce. It is ferocious. It is courageous. It is bold. And that is what I really believe these times require of us, David. So you also said something. You you talked about when you were beginning to go into the pitch process for this book, Fierce Love. You said that you started with a grown-up relationship with a grown-up God. When I heard you say that, it made me think of the story that you tell in the book, Fierce Love, about the Richard Pryor album. And oh, my goodness. So, so your parents have a Richard Pryor album. You're growing up with your siblings. I believe you've got four brothers and sisters that you're growing up with. And at one point, you sneak this Richard Pryor album down into the basement, and you all listen to it very quietly, and you say that you listen to it with your hand over your mouth so that you don't nobody can hear you laughing. But when you finally fess up and say to your folks, you know, we did this, the response of your folks was, this is an adult thing. It's for adults and it's not for children. And so I'm wondering in light of that kind of notion that there are certain things that even though they speak freely and honestly about the world, and certainly Richard Pryor spoke freely and honestly about the world and the problems of the world and the joy of the world in that album, it was something that was not necessarily appropriate for children. I'm, I'm just wondering, when you say that you were wanting to talk about a grown-up relationship with a grown-up God, what did you mean by that phrase? Yeah, that's so good. Interestingly enough, I think it's two-directional. It's bi-directional. Kids deserve childhood. Let me start there. Kids deserve childhood, David. Oh, my God, we don't give them that anymore. They deserve magic, and they love, deserve play, and they deserve hide-and-seek, and they deserve protection and innocence and naivete. They deserve that feeling of aggrandizement that's appropriate. Like, I'm magical. I cried, and somebody bought the bottle. Yay! I can jump, and my mom will catch me. I'm, I can fly. All of those things are the stuff of making a healthy adult, you know, that childhood magic and wizardry and wonder and play. And sadly, for too many children in the world, we don't have that kind of container for them. And so they are forced into grown-uphood too soon. What I realized I meant about grown-up God was actually a regression. What is childlike deserves to be childlike. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I think like a child. Like that. Thank God for that time. What I came to realize, David, was the faith that had been constructed for me, that I inherited from my family, my church, 
was kind of a a God out of reach. Like what you don't do, how you don't behave, what are the rules, who's in, who's out. It was well-meaning faith. My parents loved us and wanted us to love God, but it was also complicated in a way. And what I realized is that the grown-up God I desired was actually a child God. The God who would play with you on the playground. A God who would say, I see you. I love you. You're one God who would say, it's okay. You know, it's okay. I forgive you. That in fact, there was a regression that I wanted. I wanted a regression in my grown-up faith. To love. To unconditional love as the ground of our being. To, to peace. To a warm, embracing womb. The word mercy and rumor are the same almost in Semitic languages. That, that in fact, what was grown up was, was small. What was grown up was easy. What was grown up was light. What was grown up was love. And it was Jesus's teachings, right? Just here, love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the world. Take care of the world. Feed the hungry, right? When you see me naked, put some clothes on. That somehow the church had made God so complicated and inaccessible. How could people find their way in to this relationship with the holy? I wanted it to get simple. And I actually thought that was more grown up. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break here. Let me go ahead and reintroduce you, though. We are speaking today. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalton. We're speaking today with the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline J. Lewis. She's senior minister at Middle Collegiate Church, which is a 900-member multiracial, welcoming, and inclusive congregation in New York City. She's an activist, preacher, and a fierce advocate for racial equality, economic justice, and LGBTQ inclusion. Reverend Lewis's activism in these issues has been featured in media such as the Today Show, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Essence, and the Huffington Post, and she is a frequent contributor to MSNBC. She earned her Master of Divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary and an MPhil and PhD in Psychology and Religion from Drew University. She's been an adjunct professor at seminaries across the country, including at Princeton Theological Seminary, Union Theological Seminary, and the Graduate Theological Union. Today, we're talking about her recent book, Fierce Love, A Bold Path to Ferocious Courage and Rule-Breaking Kindness That Can Heal the World. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of interviews and conversations, all available for free for your listening pleasure. We're speaking today with the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline J. Lewis. She's Senior Minister at Middle Collegiate Church, a 900-member, multiracial, welcoming, and inclusive congregation in New York City. She is an activist, a preacher, and a fierce advocate for racial equality, economic justice, and LGBTQ inclusion. Today, we're talking about her recent book, Fierce Love, A Bold Path to Ferocious Courage and Rule-Breaking Kindness That Can Heal the World. 
In our first segment, you talked a little bit about the structure of the book, and you said that it moved in three pieces. It started with love of self, and then love of your posse, love of your group, and then finally, love of God. And I'm interested in that movement, because in your book, Fierce Love, at one point you say, okay, we may start with the individual, but nobody actually starts as an individual. We all start by being loved by somebody and named by somebody and known by somebody. So I want to ask you about the tension between what you and I have just acknowledged, the fact that I didn't start by myself, you didn't start by yourself. Somebody loved us to be who we are and where we are right now. And nevertheless, the intellectual and the kind of societal expectation that we would start with the individual. Talk to me about that tension. Yeah, thank you, David. That's an excellent, excellent catch in there. I think the tension gets resolved in the way that the church, ethical conversations actually don't focus enough on the self. And I wanted to draw us back to that. As a woman, as a girl child, as the oldest in my family, I was rewarded for being selfless. I was taught to be selfless. You get your little allowance, you give it to yourself. You you leave the big piece of chicken for your brother. Like you, you take care of the other as an act of faith, as an act of honoring God. And what I'm deeply concerned about, David, is that because we haven't paid, let's go healthy, appropriate, rich, deep attention to self. We've let the self be out there. You go to your therapist's office and the therapist is going to say that they have an unconditional regard for yourself. And that's their starting place. But how many of us are going to go to therapy? Not that many. (laughs) So my professor, Jim Loader, said that love is the non-possessive delight and the unique particularity of the other. The non-possessive delight of the unique particularity of the other. I thought, well, what if I had non-possessive delight in myself? What if I had unconditional regard for myself? What if I had been taught as a little person that I didn't have to be perfect to be loved. I didn't have to use mask and cape to be loved. I could just be Jackie, just Jackie. Good mood, bad mood. You know, behaving well, not. Sassy sometimes, perfectly obedient at others. Complicated me. That doesn't happen. It didn't happen for me. I had to learn to love myself. So what I'm terrified of, David, is that all across the world, people are actually obeying Jesus' command. Love your neighbor as yourself, but they don't love themselves. There's a hole in the soul. We're so worried that someone's going to be narcissistic, we're selfish, we're self-absorbed, which can happen, that we just don't teach people delight in your body. Who delights in their body without worrying about underarm odor and weight gain and white teeth? You know, who can delight in their body? Who can delight in their fantasies, their dreams, their disappointments, all of which are a gift from God in that Psalm 139 way? Like, you're awesomely and wonderfully made in God's image. Well, how do we start there so that our love is not filled with the stuff of our own disappointment? Then we're possessive. Then we're demanding. Then we're angry. Then we're brittle right? Then we're selfish. And we build a whole society around the lack of love people have. Think about it. Those guys who got in the boats and came across the ocean to this land to, quote, discover it, but there were people here. What if they had more self 
possession, more self-love. What if instead of power over, we learned how to have power with? What if instead of insisting on our own way, we built a society built on Ubuntu, my humanity and your humanity really being connected? And we create a culture that values your self-interest and mine, David? I think the self part of that has been sorely ignored and therefore is underdeveloped, therefore is immature, therefore is cranky and selfish. And that's at the core of how we get to be a broken society. So I think some self-love is due right now (laughs) so we can heal ourselves. There's so much that I want to ask as a follow-on to that answer. And let me start here because you used a term. I want to make sure that my listeners follow you. You used the term Ubuntu. That's part of a larger phrase that you talk about in the very beginning of your book, Fierce Love. But maybe unpack for us a little bit about what this word Ubuntu means. I will, if you all will forgive me for saying my horrible Zulu expression. I'm not good at Zulu. But it's Numuntu. Ngamuntu Ngabantu, which really means a human is a human through other humans. So in a way, in this Zulu expression, South Africa language, cradle of civilization, where we're all from, you're not human by yourself. You're human in relationship to other humans. And Mandela is in prison thinking about the humanity of his captors because of Ubuntu. Desmond Tutu is working against apartheid in an apartheid land, thinking about Ubuntu. We are connected to the kid who doesn't have clean drinking water in Detroit. And we're connected to the kid sleeping under a foil blanket in uh, a refugee camp at the border. All those are our children, David. So this Ubuntu idea is I am because you are. And together we make a culture that is well enough for all of us. And on my way to asking you some more questions about what you gave us right here at the top of this segment, you said something in passing. You said that your professor, Jim Loader, talked about love being non-possessive delight in the other. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful. It makes me realize, and you talk about this very clearly in your book, Fierce Love, that you are the recipient of multiple possessions. Let me explain what I mean. As a female in American Western society for centuries and centuries, females did not have agency. They were the property of their husbands or the property of their fathers. As an African-American, you also have the heritage of your ancestors were literally the property of other other human beings. And so there are multiple ways in which possession is Mm. a reality that you have had to unlearn both in your history and in your body. And and, and we can talk about patriarchal sexual oppression. There's lots of ways that we could talk about this. But I want to ask you about unlearning possession Mm -hmm. and and how what that process has been like for you and how in your book, Fierce Love, you help to share that process with others. In the book, I I get very personal in in many places because I just think if I'm honest about my story, people can be honest about theirs and we can learn how to do it better. But there's a place in the last chapter I talk about what it means to an ethical life is about seeing. And it just, I think it's, this is the first romantic relationship I've ever been in where I can see how my possessiveness could be so detrimental to this relationship. My husband is a, a slightly older than me, United Methodist minister. We're in a mixed marriage because I'm a Presbyterian. He doesn't need me to fix him. 
didn't, he doesn't need me to walk around following around saying, here, did you wash your hands? And did you use bug spray? And, you know, like just in his face with my love, right? You know, no space with my love. And I just didn't learn as a younger woman that love does not need to be clinging. That love does not need to be demanding. We can read that scripture, love does not insist on its own way. And we think, well, that's for God. The rest of us can insist on our own way if we want to. But in fact, we crush our love with that sense of possession. So I've just learned, I'm still learning in many ways to open up my hands. The fire at the church, David, our church burned down in December of 2020. And right now we're doing, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I don't know what we're going to do. This exercise of letting go has me feeling open to spirit, showing me what I'm going to do. So I can't possess the idea, right? I can't possess the answer. I don't have it. And this is the most liberating thing of this decade of my life is what I can't control and what I can let go of and how that spirit of possessiveness actually impinges what I want to flourish. And that's what I would want readers to take away. Like, even don't be so possessive about yourself, your appearance, your must-dos, how much energy we spend, David, creating our persona and our facade so that we can live in these Zoom spaces, for example, or live in the culture of like, how shiny is it? So uh, it is an exercise of letting go and seeing anew. Let me take a moment and reintroduce you. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dahl, and we're speaking today with the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline J. Lewis. She's senior minister at Middle Collegiate Church, which is a 900-member, multiracial, welcoming, and inclusive congregation in New York City. Today, we're talking about her recent book, Fierce Love, A Bold Path to Ferocious Courage and Rule-Breaking Kindness That Can Heal the World. I just want to stick for a moment with this notion of liberation and coming away from possession into non-possession. As I was listening to your answer, I thought about that passage in Mark 5 where there's the man who's out beyond the limits of the city who's been possessed by not one demon but multiple demons. Jesus comes to him, frees him from the demons. The demons jump into the hogs that are there. The hogs throw themselves into the sea and they drown themselves. One time with a class, we worked out using today's hog prices what that would have cost. Oh my God. And it ended up being somewhere in conservative estimates like a half a million dollars worth of hog that went into the sea to liberate one human being from that kind of bondage. So I want to ask you about the costs of this kind of liberation and what it has cost you and what maybe your readers of Fierce Love could expect to have to think about in terms of counting the cost to get away from their own possessiveness and to find themselves and others around them liberated. Yeah, it is expensive to become new. It is both costly and incites grief and mourning to change the way we think about things, David. And I'm certainly, I've been on a nine-year journey you know, to this book. What really matters? How do I use my time? How do I spend my money? How do I really live in a way that reflects my values? 10% of my money off the top goes to my church including my book advance, y'all, everything that is located in what I really want the world to be like. So how do I talk to John? How do I talk to my congregants? How am I a radical truth teller? How do I let go of nice? I mean, nice is good, but is nice always honest? 
How can we be honest and loving? Can we admit when we're wrong easily and freely and invite people to do the same and what kind of culture that makes? So possessing ideology where we can't be flexible, possessing the need to project an image that is not who we really are, possessing the need to buy into the trappings of success. All of those things, if we want to be free, I don't think we need to move to a commune. Some people will. Good for you. I'm not. But I think we can do an audit of our lives, that whole exercise of how we look at our stories. What do you really want, people of God? What do you really want? And get it, because you can get peace. You can get joy. You can get laughter. You can get a quiet time. And you can get meaningful life if that's what you really want. But it does require a scrubbing, a shedding, a letting go. And that's hard work. And you, you talk about getting to a meaningful life and that that requires a scrubbing. It, it also requires time. And the reason that I'm thinking of that right now is I'm thinking in particular of the way that your father comes forth as a, a character in your book, Fierce Love, but also as a person who's been with you on this journey. Because, you know, you had to move to a place of honesty with him and it took time and it took multiple efforts because you described that certain times when you were honest, there was physical violence or there was isolation and he would not come to certain events in your life that were significant. Or when he did come, he was cold and and standoffish. But then you describe this one point towards the end of the book where he's grown as a result of these interactions, and not just with you, but with his wife, who you mentioned passed away recently. But these different interactions seem to have worn down some of his rough edges, and you got a chance to witness some real tenderness that you had never seen before. I'm wondering about kind of the role of time here, but also to the extent that you feel comfortable, I'd love for my listeners to hear a little bit about your father and your relationship with him. Hi, Daddy, if you ever hear this. He is heroic to me. My dad is a little boy who grows up in Mississippi in poverty, in Jim Crow, segregation, with the trauma that that is. So if we think about the container in which children are raised that is both not only their family house, but also the culture, right? And in both of those ways, dad had a tough beginning. And he's very affectionate, very demonstrative. I love you. I love you all. He'll tell you that 18 times in one conversation. But also his feelings can get hurt. And when his feelings were hurt, he felt dissed. He was not lovely and fun to be with. His temper was his protection. And his anger was his teaching tool. And it was really tough in some ways. I have been so amazed to watch my dad over time to have him meet me in the space of truth-telling and reconciliation. That the, I tell a story of my dad coming to my graduation party and um, he's not happy with this guy that's my friend who I end up marrying, uh, but he does not John like who he picked for me. So he behaves all kinds of brittle, funky behavior. And finally, John leaves the party. And John leaves the party saying, it's your day and I don't want to ruin it. So I'm gone. And my great day has been ruined. My dad, my dad has really ruined my day. And I was a 45-year-old woman, terrified that I would, what would I do if I ever told him the truth? And we have what I call a hot throwdown <laughs> that day. And I just say, dad, this is hard. When you are this way, it makes me not want to come around. And I won't anymore. 
And it is tough. It is a tough talk. And the next morning, my dad, he doesn't want to lose our relationship over anything. And the newness of the, the, what I, the dad I got from that conflict, David, the dad I got from that conflict and time, the way we have each other and the way he has over time become my sister's mom. I mean, in my mom's death, my dad is my sister's mom. Like they play cards and they talk trash and he's just softened and he gives all of us so much more of what we need because of the courageous conversation, because of the truth telling, because of not possessing the fear anymore. And we have become the people we want to be. So I, I am a witness to the transformational power of love and truth. What strikes me about what you just said is you mentioned this morning after your graduation <laughs> party where he had been cold and brittle and your friend who eventually became your spouse went away from the party saying this is your time and you confronted your father and the next morning he apologized. I was struck by I had I'd read that, but I, it hadn't jumped out to me until I heard you say it just now, because earlier in the story of fierce love, when you're talking about an earlier interaction that did have real kind of sparks flying, you came later expecting an apology. And your father basically said, you got what you got because you deserved it. And so they're really we're seeing an arc of growth here over. Absolutely. Time. Yeah, absolutely. That's so true. And daddy, I'm sorry for telling your story. But it is the story of so many people, David, in their relationships with their dads or their moms or their caregivers. And in so many ways that adults push their children away when they don't make the choices that the parent wants. And there's a whole like fraught relationships all the time in my counseling practice in church where some queer kid, their parent tries to stab them, you know, or somebody gets disowned or somebody gets put out. Why? <laughs> and everybody won't get the time to make it better. So I hope there's a lesson in the book about loving even your closest neighbor, your kids, your spouse, in a way that you can let them be them and treat them like a book, an unfolding story. See what it is that they're going to become because you really can't, all you can do when you force someone is force them away from you. And is that what we really want? If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline J. Lewis. She's senior minister at Middle Collegiate Church, which is a 900-member, multiracial, welcoming, and inclusive congregation in New York City. She's an activist, preacher, and fierce advocate for racial equality, economic justice, and LGBTQ inclusion. Today, we're talking about her recent book, Fierce Love, A Bold Path to Ferocious Courage and Rule-Breaking Kindness That Can Heal the World. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of interviews and conversations, all available for free for your listening pleasure. We're speaking today with the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline J. Lewis. She's Senior Minister at Middle Collegiate Church, which is a 900-member multiracial, welcoming, and inclusive congregation in New York City. She's an activist, preacher, and fierce advocate for racial equality, economic justice, and LGBTQ inclusion. Today, we're talking about her recent book, Fierce Love, A Bold Path to Ferocious Courage and Rule-Breaking Kindness That Can Heal the World. 
Well, I want to ask you about the title of your book, Fierce Love, because we've talked around it and we've talked about how you and your publisher moved to that title. But I think the title might throw some of my listeners because, you know, we talked in the last segment about some of the anger that your father had that he was dealing with. And I think a lot of times when people hear the word fierce, that's what they think of. They think of a, a tiger waiting to jump on them or they think of, of an unexpected scare. Ferocity doesn't often get coupled with love in our culture. So help me and my listeners understand what you mean when you say fierce love. And thank you, David. I've been trafficking in love talk for a long time now. Our church holds an annual justice conference every year and revolutionary love was the conference. And I think when you say revolutionary love, people, okay, but that's the kind of love that can be transformative. Well, you know, that kind of love is fierce. And what I mean by that is, think about Ruby Sales' story, my auntie Ruby, who is an activist down in Lowndes County, gets released from jail. A man with a shotgun is ready to kill her. And a young clergyman, Jonathan, jumps in front of her and takes the bullet and saves her life. That's fierce. When a woman is pregnant and giving birth, I've not done this, but this is what I understand. In that, in that time of transition, we are literally ripped apart to put a baby in the world. That is a fiercely loving act to give birth to a child. It is fierce love when my mom would walk up to school at the playground when I first moved to Chicago and I had one of those accents that I do now. There was not a Chicago accent and the kids thought me weird. And mom comes up and just stands in and protects me. That's fierce. It's fierce love when folks waded into the fetid waters in New Orleans after the Katrina storm and saved lives, but got scabies and sometimes died from how polluted the water was. That's fierce love. It's fierce love when someone stands in the space where someone's being violated or beaten and says, no, not on my watch, whether it's verbal or physical. All of that is fierce love. The Canadian woman who saves me when I have a car crash, who walks over across the lobby in the hospital and says, how can I help? What can I do? And she does it. That's fierce. So I think we can feel what I mean, that it is like about a tiger going to jump on you. But the tiger is just jumping on you to protect their cubs or the, the one who's going to do whatever needs to be done to protect you, to save you, to help you, to guide you, to feed you, to make sure your voting rights are intact, to make sure that you can have the right to choose, to make sure you can go to college, to make sure that you can make a living wage. It's fierce to love each other in that just way that demands equality. That's what I mean by fierce love. As I'm listening to your answer, part of what came to my mind was a line from an old song by a singer-songwriter by the name of David Wilcox. The song is called Fearless Love, and the refrain is, fearless love makes you cross the border. And Absolutely. what I'm hearing you saying is that when you love someone fiercely, you're not going to be kept apart from them, and you're not going to be kept apart from their well-being and their flourishing. Now, when you apply this in a church community— it looks different from maybe the faith that you inherited. You mentioned that you had been given a faith by your parents and by others around you, and it had led to, and you describe this in your book, Fierce Love, where you were basically wanting to always be the A student for God. And those are my yes. words, not yours. That's but that right. Was, no, yeah. that's right. Yeah. That's right. And what, what I'm hearing you saying is our church has gotten very good at saying you're in, you're out, and you're acceptable and you're unacceptable. You look right, you don't look right. What I'm hearing about this practice of fierce love is that it really cuts across those. It crosses those borders, and it says you, the person who's been thrown out, left out, 
maybe you don't even believe in God anymore, come on in and let's see what you can do here in this community as well. Now, when I'm describing these things, I'm using my words, not yours. Have I got it right? And is there anything that I'm missing about your community there at Middle Collegiate Church? No, that's a, I think you're singing my song, David. And this idea of fierce love, let me just remind us, comes from God. The kind of love that God has for us is fierce. You know, my theologies of atonement and that, that kind of thing have changed over time. But we serve a God who was willing to come, as my friend Jim Kay says, all the way down, all the way down to humanity to show us what love looks like, to be with us, to be among us, to live among us, to, to experience being homeless, to experience being a refugee, to experience being an outsider in Nazareth. Did anything good come out of Nazareth? No. God inhabited the ordinary, funky places to, and, and showed out in front of some more funky shepherds. Like God went to the edges, to the outliers, to the boundaries, to the tax collectors, to the lepers, to the ones who didn't belong. That's fierce. So we think we're called as people of faith to be nicey-nice about our faith and to be putting up barriers and keeping people out. So the club is only for the precious 144,000 or something that do the right thing. That is a mistake. <laughs> Let me be crystal clear. The love of God is fierce. The love of God takes risks, crosses the borders, comes all the way into our mess to help us to be well. And if we model our love on that, it will be fierce and it will heal the world. Now, I've mentioned several times that you're the senior minister at Middle Collegiate Church, and I'm aware, and you've mentioned this, that in 2020, the church burned down, and then COVID also hit at around that same time. And and you've been preaching in the time that you've been at Middle Collegiate Church this message of fierce love. So I'm wondering, how is fierce love ringing out, and what is the reaction of the congregation as you've been going through these hardships? Yeah, I, I just want to say that this we we have found something that works. <laughs> like there is a yearning, David, a yearning for community, for connection, for acceptance, a yearning, as one of the writer would say, for the face that will never leave us, for the heart that will be wide enough for all of us. And as we've been preaching revolutionary love and teaching fierce love and opening up our doors to strangers, to the outsiders, going to the border to do work on the border, making our way to Black Lives Matter protests. 493 souls have joined our church since March of 2020. I want to be precise, not almost 500, 493 more people made their way to middle from Japan, Ireland, China, New Zealand, Seattle, and 7th Street in New York. Because, David, people want to be seen, known, and loved. People want to be encouraged to love themselves. It resonates. They want to think that God loves them like that. They want to be connected in community, and they want to be able to do something about the world through love, to partner with God. So I think the answer to the question of nihilism, of um, existential crisis, is love. Period. <laughs> and I want to make sure that I've heard that correctly. So since March of 2020, you have had an increase of growth from people who were already attending. And my understanding was several hundred were already attending your congregation in various right. ways that you've had almost. Is that almost double the growth? Or? That Yes, it, it is. We had about a thousand and we have another 493. Wow. So we have had incredible growth. 
because of our anti-racism labs, because of our revolutionary love conferences, because of our worship that integrates, you know, Bach and, and Broadway and gospel. <laughs> and because our requirements to join is to love. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline J. Lewis. She's senior minister at Middle Collegiate Church, a 900-member multiracial, welcoming, and inclusive congregation in New York City. She's an activist, she's a preacher, and she's a fierce advocate for racial equality, economic justice, and LGBTQ inclusion. Today, we're talking about her recent book, Fierce Love, A Bold Path to Ferocious Courage and Rule-Breaking Kindness That Can Heal the World. Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that you were part of the Presbyterians, and I am a graduate of a Presbyterian seminary from many years ago. But when I was in seminary back then, there was a real fight in the Presbyterians about the inclusion of LGBTQ persons and around how they could serve in the church and whether or not they would be affirmed in their love for one another and those sorts of things. I'm recognizing that your church, Middle Collegiate Church, is taking a very public stand in a denomination. And let's be honest, it's not simply the Presbyterians that are struggling with this, but a denomination that is continuing to struggle with inclusion issues. And I don't really want to focus on pushback, but I do want to ask when you get pushback, and I'm sure that you do, either from congregants or from your denomination. How do you push forward in boldness, and how do you bring this gospel of fierce love in a way that continues to honor the legacy of some of the people that you've already mentioned in this conversation? Nelson Mandela, John Lewis, Martin Luther King Jr. How how does one bring fierce love and be confrontational with truth and yet also lead to the blessed kingdom that we are supposed to all be striving for? Yeah, David, it's not easy always. The Middle Collegiate Church is part of the Reformed Church in America. We started that denomination, and now we are bi-affiliated with the United Church of Christ. So I'm a Presbyterian in a church that is RCA and UCC. All the denominations are wrestling with gay. The, the day I stopped wrestling with gay was the day I read a book by Chris Glazer, who is exactly my age, a Presbyterian like you and I. And he just was like, I can't serve this church because I can't lie, and I'm gay, and they won't ordain me. Where is this? Where is this from? Like, where is this from? Jesus says zero words about gay. And the texts that we know, because we've done our exegesis, that have stuff in there that folks make about gay are in the very same parts of scripture that are also about mixed fabrics. Thank God for mixed fabrics. Please let me have some poly cotton or some spandex in my cotton or cheeseburgers. Thank God for cheeseburgers. Thank God for shrimp cocktails. Why are we so focused on sex? Because it's a way to control the masses. And I think we just have to be honest about that. And when I get twisted or stuck, and my congregation never pushes back. But I was disinvited to preach one time because I was standing up for gay people. Therefore, I must have been gay. I'm straight. I'm not gay. But I am happy to be confused as gay. I'm happy for people not to know where I'm coming from. I'm the queerest straight Black woman in America. I own that. I'm happy that I've been queered by my queer friends because, my gosh, God made them too. Awesomely and wonderfully in God's image. God's what, what pronoun is the right pronoun for God? Does God have a penis? No. <laughs> so I think we just have to ask ourselves, why are we so obsessed about that? I'd like us to be obsessed about poverty. I'd like us to be obsessed about racism and white supremacy and xenophobia, getting rid of anti-Semitism in the name of the Semite named Jesus. And like refocus our energies uh, from 
the obsession with folks' sexual orientation, which I believe is a gift from God. The American Psychiatric Association does not think about gay as a problem any longer. They've grown up. So let's all grow up and love all the people, no matter who they love. We've touched on it at several points in this conversation, both in talking about your father's upbringing and how that was reflected in his kind of protective anger. But now we also are touching on it in terms of the experience of those, like you mentioned, this one person, Chris Glazer, who says, I feel like I've been called for the church and the church has told me that I cannot serve because of who I am. And when we're talking about all those things, we're talking about trauma. We're talking about individual trauma and generational trauma. And so how does fierce love speak to trauma? How does it acknowledge the the reality of trauma? How does it help to support people in the healing of trauma? Because as with your psychology background, there's this phrase in the recovery tradition that I come from, hurt people hurt people. So how does fierce love help us to interrupt that cycle of hurting and that cycle of trauma? That's such a great question. I want to walk through the three different spaces in the book around that, like the love yourself part. The love yourself part is to acknowledge that you probably don't get to be a human without being hurt, just moving in the world, being rejected, misunderstood. To love yourself is to own your hurt so you don't keep it inside, activated and hurting other people. That's about spiritual direction, David, or therapy or counseling, or sometimes a good friend. But to put yourself in the space to say, because I've been wounded or traumatized or hurt, I know I need to tend to myself so that I don't put that on my children in some bilateral way. Our Indigenous friends talk about the way their parents were sexually abused in those boarding schools. Those folks have the opportunity to heal with time, or they might hurt their own children, right? That happens for all of us. So one, tend to your wound, tend to your wound. I think Serene Jones would say that as well. Two, we are so lucky to walk through the world with other people. Pick the people you can be vulnerable with, your clergy support group, your family, your best friend, the two or three, five, six people that can really hold you. And those people can be your accountability partners for wellness. And I think we need that exercise don't medicate yourself with drinking food, breathe and get well and, and together. And then I think we have to acknowledge that there are hurt people in the world that need our love. You know, some of the rich people are hurt people and that's important to know. But the poor people, the people on the edges are, are getting wounded every day by policies and politics and systems and structures. And if we're going to be people of faith, the evidence of the things not seen, to quote your show, is the compassion we show for the stranger. How do we love God whom we can't see if we don't love our brothers and sisters whom we can? And it's clear from the response that you're getting there at Middle Collegiate Church that people are seeing something tangible for their own lives in this. I'm wondering, as you've been senior minister there, I'm sure that you have seen some people come in angry and traumatized and broken. And certainly without kind of giving us any details, can you give us some of the stories of the hope and the kind of turnaround that you have seen as a result of an encounter with this kind of fierce love that you're talking about? Yeah. We've had some of our younger people who lost their job during COVID and feel the absence of connection. Uh, They are taking care of each other. 
I'm watching them find ways to resource each other with coffee dates or wine dates or spaces of connection and community, showing up for each other's auditions, showing up for each other's plays, showing up at work for each other, going for walks, running. One of my young woman friends was a runner, stopped running. Everyone was like, but you love to run. And they've encouraged her to get back in the marathon game. And you can see the health in her life because she's back to doing something she loves. I think we've seen people in the church, David, deal with their parents and their siblings. I'm thinking about one of my friends who is in the church whose folks live in the South and who have a totally different politic than she does, but she's just been courageous to keep talking with them about her vision for the beloved community. And sometimes they're resistant, but there's a softening because she's practicing fierce love, engaging them where they are, but also being candid about the dream she has for a better world. My white folks are the most Black Lives Matter white folks in the nation. They are not messing around. <laughs> there, there used to be a time when they'd say, but all lives matter. I'm like, don't say that. Um, they all matter once, the, once we get this Black Lives Matter organized and racial justice on the table. So we've had anti-racism labs. We've had a task force that met for a year to talk about race. We're now doing indigenous and black reparations. We're always queer, but we're not so great on trans. And so we're being purposeful to say, what do we mean by non-binary uh, folks? What's the avenue for us learning and rewiring ourselves? Everything from remembering to use pronouns to just not having so many expectations about gender. So we're on a journey together and I'm seeing around race and gender, sexuality, class, gun control, that we are a people also transformed. And so I think fierce love has captured our imagination. Well, Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Lewis, I have so enjoyed this conversation and too, the journey that you, that you took me on with your book, Fierce Love, was phenomenal because I got a chance to get to know you, but I also got a chance to get caught up in this vision that you have that is so tied up in your own story. But it's a vision that we can all share in about how we can be more fully ourselves, more fully with each other and more fully with God. I'm so thrilled that you took the time, the nine years that you mentioned, the time to write this book, Fierce Love. But thank you as especially for taking the time to talk with us about it today. David, what an honor, what a joy to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. We've been speaking today with the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline J. Lewis. She's Senior Minister at Middle Collegiate Church, which is a 900-member multiracial, welcoming, and inclusive congregation in New York City. She's an activist, preacher, and fierce advocate for racial equality, economic justice, and LGBTQ inclusion. Today, we've been talking about her recent book, Fierce Love, A Bold Path to Ferocious Courage and Rule-Breaking Kindness That Can Heal the World. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park here on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC are responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keeja. Our show is made possible in part by the generosity of supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. 
And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.